0: Appreciate it. Stand with me if you will. As we turn to God's word this morning, we have come to 1 Corinthians 13. Aren't you glad? But you probably won't be by the time I'm through with it. <laughs> Let me read it for you out of the New Living Testament. <clears throat> If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Wow. Wow. If I gave everything I have to the poor, or even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love And the greatest of these is love. What a beautiful poem that you gave to the Apostle Paul, Holy Spirit. And as he wrote these and penned these immortal words, may they just really, um, may we all be able to, to grasp the insights on what this is talking about today and then how each one of us can apply it to our own hearts and lives. We love you, Father. And we want to learn to love the way you love. Teach us how to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you as you're seated this morning. Um, yeah, so 1 Corinthians 13 is just one of those chapters, you know. It's one of those verses. <laughs> it's, it's something that we all love. I remember a time where I, I have a Bible where I wrote in there, you know, say this to Pam every day, verses 4 through 7, and uh, that was years ago, and I, I haven't started yet, but I'm sure thinking about it. It's awful, isn't it? I mean, it's a good, it's a good idea. It's a good idea, but um, tough to follow through on. So what I want to do today, and uh, since we're talking about love, let me just give you um, a few quotes from great people about love, what they say about love. And um, I want to very much help us today to, to grasp what God is saying to us about love. All right, first of all, uh, let's go to Dr. Seuss. He says, you know you're in love when you can't fall asleep because reality's better than your dreams. That's pretty good for Dr. Seuss, don't you think? I thought I was going to get some kind of green elephant teaching me a lesson or something. Here's Shakespeare. Love looks not with the eyes, but with the mind, and therefore is winged, Cupid, painted, blind. <laughs> Sounds like Shakespeare. This is from a man named Franklin Jones. Love doesn't make the world go around, it makes the ride worthwhile. That's pretty good. Love doesn't make the world go around, it makes the ride worthwhile. All right. The next one says, this is from Victor Hugo. Life is the flower for which love is the honey. (laughs) That's pretty good. Are you ready to hear from Eva Gabor? (laughs) Eva says, love is a game that two can play and both win the game. Ah." (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that is good. So with all these quotes about love, the one thing that they all have in common is that what I just spoke to you through these, um, these comments is that this is all about human love. And here's the title of the message So what's love got to do with it? What's human love got to do with 1 Corinthians 13? Nothing, honey. This is not talking about human love today. This incredible 1 Corinthians passage is talking about what Jesus calls us to. God's agape love. Love that descends from heaven. Love which no human can do in their own strength and ability. You and I can't pull this off. So quit beating yourself up because you can't love like this. You can't. Humanly, it's impossible. But when we tap into God's love, when we quit trying to use our own Strength and ability and our own talents to show love to others when, when we love like God loves. All of these human ways of loving will show up to be insufficient and we will be empowered in our hearts, in our minds through his will and his strength now. What he does is that he teaches us truly through the spiritual gifts how to love one another. That's what we're looking for today. There's no greater picture of God's agape love than from the time Jesus passed out the bread and the cup at the Last Supper until he cried, It is finished, and then he died on the cross. Jesus Christ is the ultimate picture of the agape love of God. Because he's loving us while we were haters of him, enemies of the cross, every one of us. Well, Pastor, I wasn't an enemy of the cross. Well, did you sin? <laughs> then if if you sinned, then if you were living in a sinful lifestyle, absolutely, you were an enemy of the cross. He acted with patience towards sinful men and women as he walked down that Via Dolorosa. And some of you have had the privilege to walk that pathway. And then while he hung on the cross, friends, this was ultimate love. He wasn't seeking his own interest. He was seeking our interest. The interests of sinful men and women as he went and died for our sins. And he didn't number our sins. He didn't lay them out so that he could keep looking at them. But he gave his body to be broken and his blood to be shed so that we could be completely forgiven of every one of our sins. And so as we were partaking of communion this morning, you know what we just did? We held in our hands the true and accurate symbol of God's agape love that was found in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body and the blood. The body and the blood. The bread and the cup. Now, we all know, I think we've all heard this, there's three kinds of human love in Greek. Romantic love, friendship love, and family love. Now, those are wonderful, very important forms of love, but it's not God's agape love. It's not the kind of love that was being expressed through this scripture today. Human loves all have common traits, but they don't have anything in common with God's love. Okay? God's love, God's agape love is unique, it's eternal, it's infinite, and it's vibrant. All human loves are fragile and they're temporary and they're finite. But God's love is something that's foreign to all of us. Have you ever read 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 from the original language? It says, What foreign kind of love is this? Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. What foreign kind of love is this that no one's ever, ever died for a bitter enemy? Throughout history, there have been those who have said, let me take the place of my son. He still has his life to live. I know he, he deserves death. I'll take his place. That's noble. That's beautiful. That's, uh, that's God's kind of love. But you know what? It's not fully God's kind of love until you say about your most bitter enemy, the person who's hurt you more than anyone else, I'll go and I'll die in their place. That's God's kind of love. You know, we, uh, we read 1 Corinthians 13 when we're performing weddings, we pastors. But did you know that what's written in verses 4 through 7, that's not about romantic love. I doubt if weddings would go very well if the vow stated this. You are the most disgusting person. You're the most revolting person. And you're ugly, too. There's not one thing about you I find attractive, but... Or else, let me me throw a tuxedo on the word but. However, however... I have chosen to love you for my own purposes and my own glory. That's God's love. That's how God loves. Nothing in us that attracts us to him. He just loves us because that's who he is. God's agape love is spontaneous, which means... There's nothing lovely, there's nothing attractive, there's nothing drawing us to him. See, God's love is so, so powerful. I mean, human love is inspired by, by what we see, by what we hear, by our hearts and our minds. Human love is wonderful, but it's not agape love, it's not God's love. In fact, it's usually just the opposite of the true love of God. Another difference between human loves and God's agape love is that all human love is reaching upward to a higher earthly place. It is ascending, it is acquiring, it is possessing, whereas God's agape love is reaching down to us From heaven, it's descending, it's self-sacrificing, it's very creative. God's agape love is a love that reaches down, it's not seeking any reward, not seeking any benefit. Why? Because God's love is perfect. And there is nothing, absolutely nothing that sinful man can offer to God. Nothing. God is all sufficient within himself. He needs nothing from you. He needs nothing from us to be who he is. But we need everything we can get from him. It's tricky to learn how to properly love your neighbor as you love yourself. To me, that's really what the golden rule is all about. Just think how incredible our world would be if people would just treat others the way they want to be treated. Wouldn't that eliminate all seven of the deadly sins? We wouldn't want to do anything to hurt anyone else because we don't want to be hurt. But when we contrast any form of human love, including learning how to love ourselves, now we're missing the point of 1 Corinthians 13 altogether. Jesus Christ emptied himself when he took on human flesh. If he stopped at human love or even love for himself, there's no way he could have gone to that cross. No way. But he only accomplished this, the greatest demonstration of the agape love of God because he had learned as a human being to love the way that God loves. Now, regarding the gulf between agape love and self-love, there's a man named Anders Nygren. He wrote a book in 1969 called Agape and Eros. And here's what he says. Paul is not condemning merely a lower self-love or the natural propensity to self-assertion, but all self-love whatsoever even in its most highly spiritual forms. No, Christian love must be ready to sacrifice even its spiritual advantages and privileges in service of its neighbor. I mean, this is a totally different kind of love we're talking about here today. Human love is attracted to what? That which is beautiful, talented, smart, charismatic, but God's love chooses to shed his love on his bitterest enemies. I can't grasp this. God loves his enemies the same way he loves those of us who reciprocate his love back. It's amazing. He loves those who have nothing With which to repay him. God's way of loving has no need of reciprocity. Not because his love is cold or lacking emotion, but because it is perfectly sufficient in and of itself. This is the essential basic understanding of the Greek word agape. So if you have that in mind, now let's go. And turn to 1 Corinthians 13. In these first two verses, we are looking at four different spiritual gifts that were just outlined in the previous chapter. Of course, you realize Paul was writing a letter. He didn't uh, put the chapters and verses in there. He just wrote a letter. So he had just written about tongues, prophecy, knowledge, and faith. And these gifts are shown in their most perfect and successful expressions, speaking in the tongues of angels, knowing all mysteries, causing mountains to be removed through faith. Yet the point is that even in their greatest expression, if they're not acts of agape love, then they profit nothing. I, using those gifts, am nothing, and it profits absolutely nothing. Tongues without agape love, which is exactly what was being utilized and practiced in Corinth, it had just become a noisy brass, a, a clanking symbol, And the idea that while a person might be speaking in a, Heavenly language, if they're doing so from a human love perspective, it's going to result in like an irritating shriek, like like fingernails on the chalkboard. It's tongues and prophecy were the two gifts that were most highly valued in Corinth. And they're being warned that when you use tongues for your own selfish purposes, your own personal agendas, as extremely spiritual as you might look to be or sound, you're nothing but a loud banging noise. You ever woken up in the morning to your neighbors banging the trash cans? Loud noises in the morning are not good. Even the Bible says that in Proverbs tongues comes first and is spoken of individually in the first verse because it's Paul's primary emphasis of the correction that he wants to give to the Corinthian people if i could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others i'm just a noisy gong a clanging cymbal if i had the gift of prophecy if i understood all of god's secret plans possessed all knowledge if i had faith that i could move mountains but didn't love i'm nothing Corinthians were using the gift of tongues in a selfish, human love manner. They were using their gifts to draw attention to themselves, not to build up the body of Christ. Verse 2 that I just read has these next three gifts, the gift of prophecy, the word of knowledge, and the gift of faith. In Corinth, these gifts with tongues were thought to be the highest expressions of the Holy Spirit. The gift of faith, it's pictured as moving mountains. But even if these gifts actually did produce those astonishing results, even if they were done with well-intentioned human love, but if it wasn't with God's agape love, then it profits nothing and I am nothing. Next, the, the greatest spiritual gifts are mentioned. Selling all my possessions. Handing my body over to be burned is how the original says it. And that seems like that would be a great expression of love to somebody or doing that on behalf of someone else. But we see that these, even these ultimate sacrifices can be motivated with the wrong kind of love, human love, not God's agape love. And therefore, that's why Paul says, if you do it that way, it's going to profit nothing. Now, this is a beautiful poem that was written. And it now begins to describe the actions that are associated with agape love. So a lot of people, a lot of commentators, you know, they, they, they kind of read Paul and And then they they come to this chapter and they think, he couldn't have written that. (laughs) This is so beautiful. What a beautiful poem. Expressing love, that's not the Apostle Paul. But the reason why we know Paul wrote this is because the Corinthians were the ones responsible for having him write this because of their sinful, selfish behavior that were outlined in the first 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians. So, we all come to this chapter today, and it's just natural, it's just normal. uh, We think of it as a romantic soliloquy, like uh, thoughts that he was expressing out loud, but they weren't addressed to anyone specifically. But friends, please know, this is a dramatic, strong rebuke to the Corinthian church It was not read romantically by them at all. Now, I really don't want to mess with 1 Corinthians 13, but you know I'm going to do it. There's something that was lost in the translation, even the translation I read to you today, that I want you to grasp a hold of. The English translations describe agape love with either a positive or a, a negative quality or a feeling. Patience, kindness, not being jealous, not puffed up, not overinflated. But the English translation uses the word is. Love is patient. Love is Kind and that totally distorts the entire idea of the agape love of God. The words found in the verses four through seven they're not nouns about feelings, they're verbs about action. God's agape love is an ongoing, continuous action. So these verbs are describing the behavior. This is how you will behave when you love the way God loves. So, Professor Larry Wilson, who, by the way, is going to start teaching Old Testament survey this Tuesday night at 6 o'clock up in our conference room. And you're welcome to come to the class. If you want to get credit for it, then you have to pay. But this is a college-level class. And this is my mentor. And if you ever want to really get taught, then I encourage you to get in this class. It's a Vanguard University Extension class. But here's what Larry has taught me this week. The best way to translate verse 4 is this way. Love acts patiently. Not love is patient. Love acts patiently. Love acts Kindly. God's agape love is not some perfect state of being at which the Christian arrives. Oh, love is patient. Oh, I got that. Check. You don't got that. X. No check. Don't put no check mark by patience. Oh, I got that. I'm a very patient person. Oh, stop it. Every time? Every time? If you're patient every time, then you're not married. Sorry. Sorry. God's agape love is not just some positive feeling towards someone, some well-meaning thought or intention towards someone. No. Friends, God's perfect agape love is vibrant, life-giving action, using the spiritual gifts to bring healing to broken individuals. That's what we're called to do. Act out the love of God. And friends, we're all broken individuals one way or another because we live in a fallen world. Mm -hmm. God's agape love is displayed through us who are broken, hurting, and rejected. And this gives us as believers what I like to call street cred. We now have greater empathy while ministering through the spiritual gifts. You know who's the best person to minister through the spiritual gifts? The person who's been broken. You know, wherever you're hurting, wherever you've come through, minister through that. If you've been through an awful divorce, man, you're the one that God's going to anoint to be a blessing to somebody else who go is going through that. Whatever you've been through, whatever you're facing, whatever you've battled through, God is going to now turn that around. The devil meant it for evil. The Lord's going to use it for good, and he's going to show you how to reach out and make a difference in somebody else's life. The gift of God's agape love is most powerfully expressed not to those we love, our friends, and those who love us. But God's agape love is shown most powerfully to our enemies. Those who cannot or will not ever repay us. Those who are so broken that we won't be receiving anything reciprocated back from them. When you love somebody like that, that's the agape love of God. That's the kind of love being talked about today. Love without the need for reciprocation. Can you do it? It's hard to do. I, I really, you know, I have that down as one of my affirmations. One of my counselors told me one day, Randy, write out uh, an affirmation for every year you've been on the planet. (laughs) That took a while. It took me years, actually, to do it. And one of them I wrote down was, uh, I love without the need for reciprocation. And I have that circled because I don't think I've ever done it. It's hard to do. One of my favorite all-time stories is about President Abraham Lincoln. There was a man named Stanton that just had it in for, for Lincoln. Uh, there, back in that day, in the 1830s and 40s, you know, there was a man from America who went to Africa. He was studying guerrillas. He was trying to capture some, bring them back to the States. Um, what was that guy's name? Do du- Do quill or something like that. Anyway, Stanton told him, if you want to capture a monkey, all you have to do is go to Springfield, Illinois and capture that gorilla down there called Abraham Lincoln. He he made fun of Abraham Lincoln all the way up until he became president. And then you know what happened? President Lincoln looked around and he said... Well, the best person to be my minister of defense is this man Stanton. He's the best, most qualified man for the job. So he put him in his cabinet. And this guy who had never said one nice thing about President Lincoln is now a valued member of the cabinet. And the story goes that he was sh- there shortly after the assassination, and people saw him as tears welled up in his eyes, and he looked, and he said to everybody in the room, there lies one of the greatest leaders in the history of mankind. Yeah. Win your enemies through love. Right. Win them back. Right. Yes. That's love. That's love. Let me go back to Anders Nigren again. He writes, just as God's love is a love for sinners, so a Christian's love is a love for enemies. When Christian love is directed to enemies, it shows itself to be real agape, spontaneous and creative. It creates fellowship even where fellowship seemed impossible. Thus it shows that Christian love is action, not action reaction. Now, in the next three verses, we find 15 actions that describe the agape love of God. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go through all 15 today. Seven are positive, eight are negative. Leading the list, love acts patiently. Now, this is one of three positive characteristics that show us that as people trying to love the way God loves, we will have to endure hardship and difficulty, okay? So remember, while facing hardship and difficulty, what's happening? Every time you face hardship and difficulty in your life, what's happening? you are being trained how to love God's way. This is hard stuff. Why can't I just be the flowery guy? Love, love is a wonderful feeling. You're gonna face hardship. You're going to face difficult things. In answer to your prayer, Lord, teach me how to love the way you love. There's no other way to learn this stuff, folks. The basis of the word for acting patiently is to be far from anger. Oh, God. (laughs) To bear pain without complaining. This is the first verb in the list because in God the Father, this identifies the attribute where he holds off his anger towards us, towards sinners, towards enemies of the cross. So that we can what? Have plenty of time to repent and to be saved. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Because he's not slow concerning his promise. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So, God's patient action of withholding his anger is his love given to us. The Christian life, when we restrain our anger towards others, especially those who use and abuse us, that's God's kind of love. Now, uh, stay with me. I can only think of three words that accurately describe what I've been telling you today. Aye, yi, This is this is This is hard stuff. The other verbs, all the way down to verse 7. The, do you know what the verse 7 verbs are? Endure all things in silence... And then he comes back again and and he says, endure all things. And he's describing the action of God who remains silent while the world rebels and spews hatred towards him. Mm. Both of these words translated endurance are characterized by Jesus on the cross. Who died for our sins while we were yet sinners and while man was actively his enemy crucifying him. And that's what we just celebrated in communion this morning, ladies and gentlemen. The patient behavior of Jesus Christ who went to the cross silently, enduring the cross, bearing its shame. The endurance of his love for us caused him to remain on the cross. He could have easily called 10,000 angels. He could have come down from the cross any moment he wanted to, but he stayed there and he suffered that horrible pain and he took on that horrendous death so that he could apply to our hearts individually the greatest benefits of all the true love of God. Now remember... It wasn't the nails that kept Jesus on the cross. It was his agape love for you and me. It wasn't the nails in his hands and in his feet. It was love. The eight actions listed that are to be eliminated in order for God's agape love to be in operation are identified in rapid succession in verses 4, 5, and 6. Okay, let me read it. From the original Greek. Agape love does not act jealously. Agape love is not being arrogant. It is not acting overly inflated. It is not acting dishonorably. It is not acting to seek its own. It does not act after becoming greatly upset. It is not considering the bad. It is not rejoicing upon unrighteousness. But is rejoicing with the truth, is bearing all things in silence, is believing all things, is hoping all things, and is enduring all things. Agape love never fails. Agape love never fails. You can't just say love never fails. Human love fails all the time. Romantic love, I wish it just never failed, but look around. It fails. Since these are verbs that require action, they're not, he's not expressing to us about feelings. But look at this word jealousy. It'll mix you up. Jealousy is a powerful emotion. But in ancient times, the emphasis was not on the emotion of jealousy, but on the actions that would flow from the strong passion identified by jealousy. If the action is oriented towards God or his kingdom, then it's viewed admirably. That's a good thing. Be jealous for God. Be jealous for the kingdom of God. That's good. But if the action of jealousy is selfish or for personal reason, it's going to lead to harm for others, and so therefore it becomes a very negative thing. Not a feeling, a a verb, jealousy. And we only have to look at the fact that the Bible attributes jealousy in a positive sense to God more than jealousy as a negative act in people. God's a jealous God. Have you always thought of that negatively? God's a jealous God. Like, like that's some bad thing? Are you kidding? He's jealous for you. He's jealous that you come to know him, come to love him, come to uh, find the fulfillment of all he has for you, the fullness of God flowing through your life so that he uses you in every one of the gifts that he has for you. In jealousy is a negative attribute, but it's not the emotion. It's the work flowing from that emotion which is directly opposed to the agape love of God. So jealousy is followed by synonyms for speaking arrogantly and to act in an overinflated manner. That first word to speak arrogantly describes someone who's always talking about himself how much better they are than everybody else, how much more successful they are than others. I did this. I accomplished this. I'm the best at this. I, 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 I. This lends truth to the fact that we're not speaking about conceit as an emotion but about the behavior of always talking about yourself and putting others down. You know, that person generally comes across like they're very confident when in actuality they are actually very insecure. And that's why they have to talk about themselves. Now, regarding does not act after Being greatly upset. Ooh, I wish this one wasn't in there. Just personally, I struggle with this. But love does not act after being greatly upset. The picture here is of somebody in your life, okay? You'll know who it is as soon as I tell you. They prod you, they poke you, they push your buttons. And you are required as a Christian, if you want to love the way God loves, to let it happen. That's right. That's right. That's right. And not to react. That's right. Man. God's agape love doesn't mean we don't get angry or that we're never provoked or people never push our buttons But it means that when our buttons are pushed, what do we do? We act with mercy. We act with patience. We don't react. We respond with God's kind of love. We forgive just as God demonstrated his forgiveness for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And finally, there are some people who not only find fault with others, but they keep accurate records of the faults of others. How many of you know somebody like that? Don't raise your hand. They might be here. That's not agape love. Isn't it wonderful to know that now that you have accepted Jesus Christ, God no longer keeps records of your wrongs. Amen. He doesn't count your faults against you. I remember uh, there was a great commercial that came out years ago. I think it was a Jack in the Box commercial. And remember when they had little Jack and you could put him on the antenna on your car? Who did that? Raise your hand. (laughs) I love it. And this kid was being driven, Uh, he was getting driving lessons. And the guy that was given the lessons, you know, he had to step out of the car. And when when the, the instructor stepped out, the little ball started talking to this young man who's getting driver's lessons. And and now he's, now the kid's arguing with Jack while the instructor gets back in the car. He's talking to the little ball on top of the antenna. He's yelling at him. And the guy, the instructor looks at the young man. He looks up at Jack looks back at him, and he goes, I'm going to have to count off for that. (laughs) God's not like that. He's not remembering. You know, when you go back to him and tell him about what you did in the past that you've been forgiven for, he doesn't know what you're talking about. I mean, he's God. He knows everything. But even Jesus, as God, second person of the Godhead, chooses not to know stuff. Lord, when are you returning? Only my father knows. Oh, come on. Jesus is also omniscient. He knows all things, but he chooses not to know that. And I believe the father chooses to separate us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. And how vital, how important that we grasp a hold of how much he loves us. One final element of God's agape love is the creativity behind it. Human love is at times greedy. Human love seeks to take control, seeks to possess, but God's love is never like that. His love creates. He reached down to us in Christ. He found no beauty or value in us, but loved us as a sovereign decision to save us. He sacrificed his only begotten son, Jesus, on the cross to die for our sins. But praise God, he didn't leave us in the wretched and pitiable condition in which he found us. He forgave us all our sins. He sent the Holy Spirit to take up residence inside us. He's going to return the lost glory to us. Did you realize? Have you ever read Matthew 1? Have you seen it? It's all the genealogy of Jesus. Fourteen generations down to David. Fourteen more to Jeconiah and his brothers that you can read about in Jeremiah and in uh, i believe it's in 2nd kings and then 14 more down to the birth of Jesus what does that tell you it tells you that man was created to be great look at david he's the greatest king to this day even though he had his stuff you look at israel today and there's a star on their flag it's the star of king david he was great Now you go to the other guys, Jeconiah and his brothers, and they lost it. They were so far from God. They were the last ones. And the Bible says that none of them will have uh, someone to rule on the throne. And so then you study that genealogy and you realize, oh, wait a minute. Jesus didn't come through that particular lineage. Jesus came not through Joseph, but through Mary. He was born of a virgin. Therefore, he came. So, point number one man was created to be great. Point number two, we lost it. We lost our greatness. Point number three Matthew chapter one. Jesus came to restore you to greatness, he wants you to be great. You know, go home and look in the mirror today and say, I'm supposed to be great. Mm -hmm. Greatly used of God. Greatly learning as a human being how to love the way God loves. He gave us a future and a destiny that we couldn't even begin to imagine because of all its goodness and joy. God's agape love wants to create new ways inside of us to express his love to especially those who are enemies of the cross. His love creates wholeness, healing, and forgiveness. Don't misunderstand verse 7, okay? Let me just say this. Verse 7 has been where people accuse us, Christians, of being perpetual victims bearing all things in silence, being gullible, believing all things, being unrealistic, hoping all things, having a martyr's complex, enduring all things. But that's not the way the gifts of faith and hope operate the gift of faith does not make a victim of abuse more of a victim by telling them to accept their victimhood but faith says that God knows what they have experienced and how they can be healed and whole following the abuse and just keep in mind that forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things Forgive your perpetrator so you can get out of jail. Don't stay in that prison that they've, their actions have placed you in. Listen, your victimizer is going to have to spend the rest of his life making restitution. And to forgive with strong boundaries to keep yourself from being hurt again is great wisdom. And let me just quickly say that if you have been the abuser, you have surrendered your right to be quickly trusted again. Do whatever it takes to help the one you abused to know your only goal from here on out if you are fortunate enough for them to allow the relationship to continue from here on out, your one goal is to help them feel safe. Amen. That you never again are going to go back to the abuse. The gift of hope does not suggest that a broken and hopeless person should be given some glib everything's going to be all right answer. But it provides true hope that God will work the impossible for the person who's without hope, that every person in Jesus Christ has a future and a hope. Yeah. But as the Bible demonstrates in Ephesians four twenty three and 24 as part of the true gift of hope, The person must first put off the clothes of the old hopeless victim before they can put on Christ. Now this mainly happens to people that are battling addictions. Addicts don't have hope that they can put off the old way of living. But once we empty ourselves and begin to operate in God's agape love, then the gift of hope begins to fill our lives. On this basis... That's how we can see that love never fails. People want this truth to apply to all human love the same way it applies to God's love. But the Bible doesn't say human love never fails. It doesn't say romantic love never fails. It fails all the time. It doesn't say friendship, teammate love doesn't fail. That falls short of the goal, too. Here's what the Bible says. Agape love never fails. God's way of loving never fails. God's agape love, the full essence of what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about, love which does not seek it own, that love never fails. God's great love for the world has been demonstrated once and for all through the crucified Christ. And that agape love will never fail. In your mind, don't put a period after agape love never fails because without skipping a beat, agape love is contrasted now with the spiritual gifts which will all become obsolete. The spiritual gifts are truly gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been given to the Christian to close the gap of fellowship between God and man that was caused by sin. So how do we close the gap between the will of God and what's going to happen in the future. Well, He gives us the gift of prophecy. In direct response to the presence of Jesus Christ, when we stand in His holy presence, you won't need the gift of prophecy anymore. How do we close the gap of worship? The gift of tongues. In the presence of Christ, we will not need tongues any longer to praise him. How do we close the gap of the knowledge of God and understanding his deep agape love and knowledge of us? Well, he gives us the word of knowledge, the rhema of knowledge. When we stand in the presence of Jesus Christ, we will have come to know him as we currently are fully known by him. The gifts are only for this age. But when the perfect comes, all the spiritual gifts will be obsolete. Think of all the ways we help our children grow into things. We, we have training wheels on their bikes. We, we put them in high chairs because they don't know how to sit in a chair yet. Uh, we got those big wheels. All that stuff will be put away and become obsolete So all the spiritual gifts will one day be done away with. Now, we have been given these spiritual gifts because why? Because we are looking through a glass darkly. Because we can't see clearly. Back in that day, even in Corinth, you know, they made mirrors, but not the way we see them today. It was it was out of metal. It wasn't real clear. That's what Paul's grabbing hold of. We've all been given these spiritual gifts so that when that day comes and we see Christ in all of his fullness, we'll look directly at him. And our gaze at that moment will be completely unobscured and we'll hear his voice unmuffled, loud, and clear. There will be no use whatsoever for the spiritual gifts on that day. Now, f- abide faith and hope. But even faith will be turned to sight and hope will become our joyous reality. Even faith will morph and hope into something different in the kingdom of God. Only God's agape love will keep flowing unchanged into the kingdom of God because it has flowed down to us undiluted and unchanged through Jesus Christ from the kingdom of God. So powerful. If we could just... God. Help us tap in to your love. Help us learn to love the way that you love. Help us to become people that get over ourselves. God, help those of us, Lord, who have worn our feelings on our sleeves. We're so insecure. We're so, oh my goodness. That's not God's love. God's love is active. God's love doesn't wait for the other person to respond. God's love through us is given to those who absolutely don't deserve it and could never earn it. This is hard stuff today. Teach us how to love. Teach us how to care. Teach us, Lord, what it means to be a person who very imperfectly continues to try to express the agape love of God.